Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. So our text this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. If you would join with me in your Bible or the Pew Bible as we read together God's Word. Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for all the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed or conformed in the image of his, of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ who died, or rather who was raised, who is also at the right hand of God also who intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Knowing all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. So most holy God, as we gather this morning to worship and to praise you, we come with expectant hearts. We come eagerly listening for your words, what you would have us say, what you would say to us today, who you would have us be, what you would have us do. So speak, O oh Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, O Lord, to our hearts. But as you speak, O Lord, may we take your words deep within our minds, deep within our souls and our hearts, so that we would leave this place pondering your words and how to do your words, not just listening to them. 
This we ask in your son's holy name. Amen. Seems nowadays if you go into any office or any corporate break room or retail store break room or the doctor's office, the hospital, or even a school, it seems that one of the ubiquitous things that we find is the motivational poster. You know those posters that have images, whether they're of, spy, of na nature or animals or people, or maybe it's a really artistic image with words laid over, wonderful words that are made to motivate us. Words like, the only easy day was yesterday, or be the change you want to see, or maybe it's got a picture of a gorilla or a cat hanging on by a limb or a squirrel that says, hang in there, or maybe it says TEAM in capital letters with periods after each letter, so it's an acronym, or an, it's, a, it's an acronym that says, together everyone achieves much, or maybe there's a sarcastic one that might appear somewhere that says something like, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Or maybe there's the one that says, limits exist only in your mind. Or simply this, don't quit. There's a reason that they pop up or someone seems to think these things work. But the real question is, is how do they work? How do these motivational posters drive us to be our best selves or to do what they say to foster teamwork or to keep pushing forward even when there's adversity? What is it about that? So what I understand about the science is this speaks to our ideal or identity of self. Within us, within our psyche and our makeup, there are two concepts of self. One is the uh, ideal self, who we want to be. And so the posters that speak to that are ones that sort of help us see our actual self moving closer to our goals. So if your goal was to maybe be more professional... A poster that challenges you to think like a professional or dress like a professional maybe sort of moves you into maybe being that professional. And then there are the ones that speak to what they call our ought self. So that the, what we know of what we ought to do or ought not to do. Not really what we idolize, but just trying to get us into the right behaviors. So for example, of ought self, let's say you're trying to be more healthy. A poster that might encourage you to eat healthy foods is speaking to your ought self. Or one that encourages you not to eat the unhealthy things, like the greasy cheeseburger and the twice-loaded fries, speaks to our ought selves. See, these posters seem to speak to this sense of self. They want us to think outside of where we presently are to where we want to be. And so what we know about anything is when we set goals in our lives, whether it's resolutions or it's what we sit down and we start to aim for what we're going to do this year at work or school or whatever, that in order to make this change, it needs a sense of motivation. It takes effort. There needs to be something that sort of pushes us along. And so the idea behind all these, all these motivational posters is to do, just, do just that, to get us to be thinking about who we are and what we're about. And so when we start to look at what we read today in Romans chapter 8, what we begin to realize is that Paul is, in a sense, writing in this chapter a motivational poster for the Christians in the church in Rome and for everyone else that would read his writings all the way up to us. Now, what's important as we think about this, what Paul writes in here, he's talking about the nature of God in this passage. And he's been talking about it thus far in Romans, helping the early church see what God is all about. But Paul is real clear 
He's real clear in pointing out what he doesn't say is he doesn't say that when we choose to follow Christ, that from that moment forward, he doesn't say that it's all going to be sunshine and roses and rainbows and sparkly unicorns. It doesn't mean because we're choosing to follow Christ that everything is going to be instantly better and we're going to have no worries or troubles. Rather, what Paul is saying here is that God uses everything for our good. In other words, even when we have the most horrible day on the planet for us, God redeems everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so no matter what comes our way, God will bring something good out of it, something good out of that misfortune for us. So that poster starts, this idea of this poster starts to show up in verse 28 when he writes, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. So what Paul is saying here is that God works for good first and foremost. So don't make, don't make any mistake about that. The second thing he says, in everything. And the third thing he points out, with those who love him, for those who follow, for those who believe, God works for good in everything. So as we begin to unpack this and think about it, we have to sort of look at the story of what Paul is writing about. When we take a look at the Bible, we look at those 66 chapters in the, I mean, the 66 books in the Old Testament, the 33 in the New Testament, what we begin to realize is that this is a love story. This whole book, this book that we carry around, we look at on our phone, it is a love story. It's the story, it's the greatest one ever written. It's about God's love for you and for me and for all of creation. If you don't believe me, those of you that have taken Disciple, you see this theme woven throughout that 36-week Bible study. And if it's been a while since you've taken it or you've never taken Disciple, and you go, maybe I should read the book more frequently, have I got a deal for you? Starting in September, our first 15, we're going to embark upon a goal. Suzanne and I have been working on this. We've mapped out a strategy for the next 12 months, starting in September, that if you will read the first 15 every day in the scriptures that we suggest, in the course of a year, we will have read the Bible together. And so when we do that, when we go through that whole book from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, what we begin to know is truly that God loves us. That God has loved us since the dawn of time right up today and for the world without end. That that is a one wavering truth that we will never escape. That God loves us. And in verse 28, what Paul reminds us that God works for our good, that God, like a divine parent, God only wants the best for you and me. God has hopes and dreams for our lives, that God seeks out the best for us, that God gives us the best. I mean, we, th we talk about this in communion, the best bread, the finest of wine, that God makes that available to us in the best meal that we will ever receive. So what it challenges us to do when we read this is to take stock in our lives, to think about the times and the way that God has already given us the best. Let me be really clear. I'm not talking about material stuff. It's not a, it's not a prosperity gospel or a gospel of materialism, but of the, of the best of the things that matter most. God has made that available to us in relationships, in the people around us, in caring for us on our worst days and comforting us and giving us meaning for our lives and purpose for who we are and what we're to be about. 
that God gives us the best. And so as we look at this, what Paul wants us to remember is that God only wants the best and seeks that for us every single day. But not just that, not just that we know that God wants the best for it, but Paul's reminding us that this is true in every aspect of our life, in every corner of what we deal with. And it's important that Paul reminds the people that God does not inflict pain and suffering. That this is a God that loves us, not one that's like a Gary Larson cartoon. You remember the far side? One of my favorite far sides was when Gary decided to, to sort of depict God in different ways. And one of the ones was there's a guy walking along. So God is sitting at his computer and on the screen you see a guy walking along the street. And he's walking in front of a building and it's about a 12-story building and there's a safe hanging from a string. And on the command, on the command bar it says drop safe and God's got his finger over the inner key like we're like God is some sort of evil puppet that pulls these strings and pushes the button and causes the calamities in our lives and that's further from the truth that is so far away from who God really is and what God wants for us God is not some cosmic magician pulling strings in a macabre dark theater instead God is constantly working to show us the light, to show us the way, to show us the love. God's working to redeem everything, working through the pains and the struggles that we face. Now, this is not lemons to lemonade. This is not a sound of music theology where, you know, where the mother superior says, well, you know, when God shuts a door or opens a window somewhere else, it's not that. Instead, what Paul is writing about, that there is this abiding presence of God with you and me that strengthens us and guides us through seasons of grief and pain and suffering to turn our sorrows and our disappointments into something good. That God is constantly working through the setbacks that we experience. This reminds me of Thomas Edison. When Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, he didn't get it right the first time. Instead, he made multiple attempts, multiple failures and finally, he got it right. And someone said, you must have been really frustrated with all the experiments that you did and all the time it took to get to the solution. How did you deal with your failure? And he said, every day I failed, I was one step closer to getting it right. See, Paul reminds us that God is working for us in everything that we face to lead to our success. God is working for us to lead to our success, even in our failures, that God is working within us, around us, through others, and for us, so that we might experience the best, that we might see the lights come on and experience the goodness that is in the kingdom of heaven. And as Paul is reminding us, as he says, with those who love him, so what we begin to know is that God is for us and that God is working in everything and that we just need to recognize it. And what he's talking about is this idea of a theocentric life, a life centered on God, a life in which we love God, in which we serve God, in which we listen to God, where we seek God in everything that we do. Essentially what he's challenging the early church and you and me to do today is when we look at the world around us, when we start looking for how God is involved, for how God is active, for what God is doing with us, when we start to really focus our lives on God and what God wants for us, then we begin to see all of this majesty that's right before us. 
See, theocentric people, they live their lives very attuned to their faith, very attuned to the fact of what God is doing and how God is working even in the midst of struggle. I think of uh, the World War, II hero, Des uh, World War II hero Desmond Dawson. Some of you know his story. He was a Seventh-day Adventist from up in Virginia, and Seventh-day Adventists are conscious objectors. They are, they are nonviolent people. They are peace lovers. And so in the midst of World War II, he enlists, knowing that he is a conscientious objector, wanting to do his part for the war cause, but that means not fighting. Now think about, the, the, think about that juxtaposition. Wanting to do his part for the war cause as long as it's not fighting. So imagine the ridicule that he took in boot camp. Imagine the fact that he gets faced with a court-martial because he refuses to obey an order to carry his weapon. And yet he wins his court-martial and being treated warily on the ship as they sail across the Pacific into the Pacific Theater. And then he finds himself in battle on Okinawa. And in the midst of this, he's wounded and in the evening left alone. But what does he do? He continues to do his job as a medical corpsman. He keeps doing his job. And the whole time with all this adversity, he focuses on his faith and what God wants for him and how God is leading him. He prays and he reads the scriptures. Why? Because he knows that he is not alone. See, he has that theocentric life in which he is looking for images and glimpses of God in everything around him. Because he knows that God wants the best for him, no matter what. Who do you know? Who do we know that leads a theocentric lifestyle? Who faces adversity with grace? who lives with a sense of positivity. I'm not talking about sort of a, a Pollyanna-ish. No, they, they see the positive even in the worst. Someone who displays character no matter the challenges that are in front of them. When you think of that person, ask yourself, what is their secret? What makes them tick? Might it be their faith? Is it their knowledge that God loves them no matter what? And that God only wants the best for them, even in the midst of this adversity. See, friends, I think when we start to realize that the power of this theocentrism, and we start to put that into our lives, our lives change. And that's the beauty of the kingdom. So we look at verse 28. Paul is speaking to our ideal selves. The people who know that God works for them in everything, that they do it because God loves us. That God works for the good in everything for those who love him. Speaking to our ideal selves, challenging us to be those people who love God and trust God, even in the midst of what seems impossible odds. But if that wasn't enough, if verse 28 wasn't enough for us to anchor our lives, if you jump down with me to verses 30, 35 and then 37 through 39, Paul spells it out. As if we really needed a big motivational poster, Paul writes these words. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I'm convinced neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, 
nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, if we were wavering on verse 28, we jump down to here, this statement of faith reminds us of who we are, of whose we are, of what we're to be about. And that emphatic no in verse 37, who will be able to separate us from Christ? Will these things? No, in all things. And I love the fact he says, in all things, we are more than conquerors. We're more than victorious. Now think about that. No, nothing can do it. In all these things, we are more than victorious. Not only do we win, but we win more. It's like saying I have 110% of all the marbles. I don't know how that's mathematically possible, but here in the kingdom of God, there's this kind of math. We can be more than victorious through him who loved us. Friends, that's the beauty of the kingdom. And so this week, as we go home, as we leave this hour, we ponder these words, as we think about writings and tomorrow, one of the things that challenges us as followers of Christ is trying to make a connection between Sunday and then Monday through Saturday. Keeping what we learn, what we experience in this place alive in our hearts, in our minds, in our faith lives, Monday through Saturday. So what if you were to take verse 28 and write on an index card. And then you take verses 35, 37 through 39, and you write that on a post-it note. And you put that index card in your pocket every day and you look at that. But then to remind yourself, whether it's on the mirror in your bathroom or on your dresser, or on your placemat at the dinner table, you put these words, who will separate us all the way through no one will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because friends, when we go out into the world armed with this, the world better watch out. Because one thing they will know from us is that God works for good in everything with those whom he loves. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.